Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. It's a blowout. Eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out of the real He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge what is up everybody welcome into another episode of flipping bats it is monday it is the first episode of the week and we have a great one for you but some big news we are now going daily that's right flipping bats pod will now be five days a week monday through friday instead of three longer episodes It'll be five shorter, jam-packed episodes, and this Monday episode is going to be a blast. we got a lot to talk about today. Storylines from around the league, which there are a lot of. Also on this Monday show, power rankings, because of course, got a new updated power ranking, and team of the week will now be on Mondays as well. Love that segment. So, producer Conrad, you're out here with me. How are you doing, my friend? Let's let's have ourselves a good first show of the week. Fantastic as always. I know I'm not doing as good as what the Atlanta Braves are right now, but still, great True. weekend in the books. Great, a lot, a lot, lot of great baseball. I still like you though. I still like you. No Appreciate way. you, man. Appreciate you. Let's start. Uh, let's start in the South Side of Chicago, though. A little South Side issues. Yeah, let's start in the South Side of Chicago with their struggles, in particular. Tony Larusa, who doesn't have fans on his on his best side right now. They're not they're not very fond of him. He made a decision in the game the other day against the Dodgers that not a lot of people liked and not a lot of people understand. With Trey Turner at the plate, he got to a one-two count, and Tony Larusa decided to intentionally walk Trey Turner. When he got to that one-two count. (laughs) I've never heard of that. It's also never happened. There's never been an intentional walk in a one-two count before. But Tony La Russa did it. And fans aren't happy. It didn't work out. Max Muncy immediately follows that up with a three-run home run. Dodgers end up winning that game by two runs. There's not often you can point to something in a game and say, literally, that is a, that's the reason. The Dodgers go on to win by two runs, and I hate playing the whole game of, well, if this didn't happen, then that would have, whatever. But you can't argue with the fact if that three-run home run doesn't happen, totally different ball game. It was a bonehead move. People are now calling for Tony LaRusso's job, which I won't do. I will never call for somebody's job. I think I have inklings when it might happen, but I don't ever want anybody to to lose their job. And I will tell you that that seat is hot. You know, post-game, after that happens, they end up losing a close ball game. They lose because of that. It's a boneheaded move, in my opinion. Post-game, he's obviously asked about that. Tony La Russa is asked about walking Trey Turner in a one-two count. 
His response was, are, is that a serious question? Are people really talking about that? Do people really think that's a bad move? He said, Trey Turner is someone you want to avoid in a two-strike count if you can. What does that even mean? Why even, why not even just walk him originally? Like, what's the point of pitching to the guy and getting him into a one-two count and then walking him? I know there was like, there was a pass ball or wild pitch and the guy got to second base, but you get this guy into a one-two count. And then Tony LaRusso wants to talk about his numbers in a one-two count. Guess who has access to those numbers? Everybody. Guess what I did? I went and found the numbers. He's a 197 hitter in a one-two count. 197 lifetime this year it's closer to like 250 in a one two count but that's not exactly tearing the cover off the ball that's average but he's still one two count but lifetime is 197 what i i struggle to even comprehend what i was hearing what do you mean he's something you want to avoid when you get to a one two strike or a one two count you want to avoid him what and then the, the baseball gods immediately follow that up with a home run. Max Muncy hits a homer. The White Sox have issues. One of those issues being Tony La Russa. I think we all, when, when that hiring was made, we all kind of thought, huh, is this, is this really the right move, the right fit for this team that's young and exciting and full of energy? I don't know. But this tweet. This is a hungry, enthusiastic fan base that thought the White Sox were on the cusp of a long run of contention. Through two months, the team has been lifeless and at times unprepared. The reaction today should not be surprising. Now that tweet, that reaction that's being referenced, is talking about the crowd. The day following the intentional walk started a very loud Fire Tony chant. Fire Tony. Just so you get a reference of of what the chant was. It's not pretty there in the South Side. The White Sox are too talented to be this mediocre. It's ridiculous what is happening there. They're 26th in runs per game at 3.88. They're 23rd in on-base percentage as a team. They've drawn the least walks of anybody in all of baseball. They're tied for 24th in home runs, and they're tied for 20th in Team ERA with 4.13. Unacceptable. For a team as talented as they are, unacceptable. And the seat on which Tony La Russa sits is hot. Will they make the move? I don't know. A lot of fans want it to happen. The majority of the fan base, the strong majority of the fan base, wants it to happen, is calling for it. But ownership and GM and Tony, they all have a great relationship. So what's the move that's going to be made? You have a team that on paper should be one of the best in the American League. You have a team that is full of young and exciting and energetic players that aren't playing up to their potential. And you have a manager that is against all of that. So is a you know, he's he's a by the book kind of guy. You don't swing 3-0. You don't show too much energy. 
So what's the move that's going to be made? Because this team is far too talented. And it needs to change. Tony LaRussa is a Hall of Fame manager. And there is no arguing that. He is an all-time great manager. That's in the past. And, and, and what's happening now shouldn't discredit the career that Tony LaRussa has had. But he is no longer that Hall of Fame manager on the field. Of course, he always will be. But he is not the same manager. The game of baseball has changed. That's the biggest difference here. The game of baseball has changed. And he hasn't changed along with that game. He's trying to manage it the same way he did forever. When that's just not, you know, that's not a way of leading. You're constantly having to evolve. Things are changing. Things are evolving. It's time for him to evolve. And if not, you're going to have a mediocre team. The White Sox are a mediocre team right now. And they are far, far too talented to be mediocre. In a division that is not good, the AL Central, admittedly, isn't one of the best divisions in baseball. The Twins are good. The Guardians are decent. The Tigers haven't been good this year. The Royals are not good. The White Sox, who were the heavy, heavy favorite to win the AL Central, are 7-12 and against AL Central opponents. 7-12. and That's awful. So the White Sox need to look in the mirror. The players need to be better. The manager needs to be better. I think a big problem is they're not, they're not able to have the fun that they should be. They're not able to play with that energy and that passion that they need to. We talked about it with a guy like Jazz Chisholm earlier this year, who's also come in the news a lot lately. That guy, he, he needs to play the way he needs to play, the way he does play, with that energy, with that flair. There's a lot of guys on that White Sox team that just should be able to play like that. And I think Tony La Russa holds that back just a little bit. And I don't think that the White Sox can thrive and flourish under him unless a change is made. Whether that change be him coming around and saying, hey, you know what? Go out and play. Do you have fun? Or whether that change is what White Sox fans are calling for, which is a change at manager. But regardless... Things aren't going well in the south side of Chicago. The White Sox need to be better. They are far too talented to be an under 500, sub 500, mediocre baseball team. I'm tired of seeing it one way or the other. It's got to turn around. They're too good. They're too good. Something's got to change. I know that much. Yeah, something does have to change. And with a couple of the other teams that were going through bad stretches that were extremely talented, higher payrolls, they made moves. And unfortunately, you know, that might be the situation in Chicago if they can't figure it out here soon. There's just, there is, there's way too much talent on that team. We've been saying it the last two, three years. Uh, let's move on though to another huge thing going on in baseball right now. Apparently the NL East just cannot lose baseball games. Yeah. In terms of, Hey, something needs to change with teams to, to get them going. Well, the Braves and the Phillies are going. They have been fantastic. They are on, they have gone on long, long winning streaks. And I want to start with the Atlanta Braves 
I want to start with a Braves team that I predicted to get back into the playoffs, to get back into the World Series. And I said that I think this team has the potential to be even more talented than the team last year that won a world championship. Why did I say that? Well, Ronald Acuna expected back. They didn't have him for the second half or the playoff run. Mike Soroka, one of the best young pitchers in the game when he went down, is thankfully and finally expected back after some freak injuries. He's an easy guy to root for. He's going to come back. The rotation is only getting better. Max Fried, Kyle Wright, they have been fantastic. They have emerged as stars in this game. Spencer Strider, a rookie, has been so good. So the rotation's gotten better. You get Ronald Acuna back. But again, this year, it was just average. It was just mediocre. They hadn't turned it on. Well, here we are. After I called out the Atlanta Braves two weeks ago and said, this is unacceptable for the Atlanta Braves, you got to figure it out. The time is now because the New York Mets are far too good to just lollygag, hang around around 500 again this year, and then say, oh, we're going to be fine. We're going to win the division. It ain't happening this year. It was time to go, and they went, and they have gone hard. They are on a 11-game win streak. They haven't lost in two weeks. The longest winning streak for the Atlanta Braves since 2013. 2013. That's a long time. Scored 6.9 runs per game, and they've allowed 2.7 runs per game during that stretch. That's a good recipe for success. 6.9 runs averaging on the offensive side and giving up under three runs on the pitching side. They're doing it all. They've held opponents to two runs or less in seven of the 11 games on that win streak. Ronald Acuna during this 10-game winning streak. And he's a big reason for this. And this is a big reason that I wasn't panicking when the Braves weren't very good yet. Because they didn't have Ronald Acuna back yet. And I know he did come back after about a month, and they didn't, they didn't turn it on immediately. But he's the, he is the heartbeat of that team. He leads off. He steals bases. He hits homers. He does the LeBron James, the Trey Young celebration. He's all over social media. He does the chalk thing in the dugout. He's the heart and soul of this Braves team. He comes back. He is healthy. He looks fantastic. And they haven't put any like restraints on him. You know, Ronald Acuna comes back from a gruesome injury, a brutal ACL tear, and you hear and you and you think, okay, he's not going to steal bags. He's probably going to DH a lot to start. No. They throw him in the outfield. He's stealing bases whenever he wants. He's hitting homers. He's running hard. He's playing good defense. It has been a lot of fun to watch Ronald Acuna. And on that win streak, he's hit 389, four homers, six RBIs, two stolen bases, five multi-hit games. Ronald Acuna Jr. is a big part of this winning streak. This is the Braves team I expected. Now, they went from way out of the standings way out of first place to at least closer. Do I think the Braves will win the NL East? I actually don't. I actually think the Mets are going to win the NL East. 
What we would have seen in the past is this Braves team going a long win streak. The Mets go on a losing streak at that time. And next thing you know, the Braves are two games out. They end up taking the lead. This Mets team isn't the same. This NL East is impressive. I think the Mets can win the division. I don't care. I still feel good about my prediction. I still think this Braves team, when they get into the playoffs, is going to be a better team than what we saw last year when they ended up ultimately winning the World Series. They're not the only team in the NL East that has been on a tear. There's another team that I fully believed in and believed had a really good chance to make the playoffs. And it's the Phillies. I believed at the beginning of the year that this Phillies team, with the moves that were made, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, and added some bullpen pieces, Corey Knable, had the potential to make the playoffs. And end what many don't realize to be the second longest playoff drought in baseball behind only the Mariners. But they go on a nine-game win streak, their longest since 2011. Nine-game winning streak for the first time since 2011. Rob Thompson, who took over after the firing of Joe Girardi, which came as a surprise to many because since 2018, no manager had been fired before the All-Star break. It was Mike Matheny in 2018. This year, we've seen it with Joe Girardi and Joe Madden. So it's happened twice now. But it came as a surprise. There weren't rumblings of it happening to that point. Joe Girardi gets fired, and they immediately go on the longest winning streak since 2011. Rob Thompson, who took over, is just the third manager since at least 1900 to win each of his first eight games as a manager. The other ones being Joe Morgan, Joe M. Morgan, 1988 with the Red Sox, won his first 12 games as a manager, and Pat Moran with the 1915 Phillies, won his first eight games as a manager. They've got themselves right back into contention. That's what it takes, you know? When there's a team that's struggling, like the Braves, like the Phillies, like the Angels, it takes something like what the Philadelphia Phillies have done. Okay, now we have to go on a winning streak. We're not going to get our way back into it by winning 6 of 10, 7 of 10. No, you're going to have to go on a stretch of winning 10 games in a row, of winning 9 games in a row. And the Phillies did that, and they've done it for the first time since 2011. A big reason of that, Bryce Harper, who's doing all of this with a torn UCL, 433 over the course of the winning streak, five homers, 13 RBIs, five multi-hit games in that stretch. So you have these two teams in the NL East that are far too talented to be under 500 teams, going on surges, going on their longest winning streak in years. And of course, it's their superstar doing it. It's their superstar that's a massive reason. Ronald Acuna for the Atlanta Braves. Bryce Harper getting it done for the Philadelphia Phillies. But business is booming in the NL East. And this is the NL East that I certainly expected. I believed that there could be three teams out of the NL East in the playoffs. I believe in my NL preview, I did predict that. I predicted the Mets, the Braves, and the Phillies 
would all grab a playoff spot. With there being three, with there being an extra additional wild card spot, I believe that there could be three teams in the NL East. And now they're they're making me look good. I don't know if that's going to happen. They did dig themselves quite a hole, but the NL East teams are surging. A lot of them are playing really well, and the Braves and the Phillies are certainly a massive part of that. I think the whole division is just playing an unreal level right now. I think going into Saturday night, Seriously. you you put out a tweet. The NL East had won 27 straight games. The division, 27 I know. straight games. It's funny. You you look at it and you think, oh my God, the Braves and the Phillies are on a crazy streak. So I'm looking at the standings and it said the Mets who hadn't been playing great, that you know, they're playing 500 ball in a very tough stretch of games. They had won one. They won their last game. The Braves at the time had won 10. The Phillies at the time had won nine. The Marlins at the time had won four in a row. And the Nationals even won one. I I don't know how to figure this out. I don't need, we have the most talented the most talented research department of all time. I need to ask this question and I'll get back to you if there's if this is the most if this is the longest. I don't know if there has ever been a divisional winning streak longer than what we saw in the NL East over the course of the past week. With the Mets, the Braves, the the Phillies, the Marlins and the Nationals all winning and the Braves and Phillies being on a ridiculously long um, win streak that hadn't happened in years. I'd be interested to know that answer and I want to find it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the NL East playing really tremendous baseball right now. Um, moving on. Let's talk about these Houston Astros, man. These Houston Astros are still the team to beat in the American League, right? In my opinion... The Houston Astros are still the team to beat in the American League. Now, why do I say this when the New York Yankees are on top of the world and undoubtedly the best team in baseball right now? How can I say that the Houston Astros are the team to beat? Well, there's a few reasons, and and I want to I wanna get to all of these, but the first of which being the pitching. The second of which being that the Astros have just figured it out. They've figured out the blueprint to winning. And the last of which is Jordan Alvarez as a whole. He gets his own whole segment and reason for why the Astros are the team to beat in the American League. But let's start with the pitching. The pitching this year has been fantastic. Yes, starting rotation, great. With Justin at the top of that rotation, Framber Valdez doing great, Luis Garcia. But for me, a big part of this as well is the bullpen. The bullpen last year was as middle of the pack as you can get. They were the 15th best in baseball. This year, they've been a top, a top bullpen in the game of baseball. The rotation has been really good. The Astros rotation has the third most innings pitched in all of baseball. Third most innings pitched from starters per game at 5.54. Second most quality starts, only the Padres have more. And tied for wins in Major League Baseball from starters with the Dodgers, which that was through Sunday. So they're no longer tied with the Dodgers because the Astros won on Sunday and the starting pitcher, my brother, Justin, got the win. And I know the Dodgers lost. So now 
the Astros have the most wins from starting pitchers in baseball. Justin Verlander has the most wins of anybody in all of baseball. He got his eighth win on Sunday. Zero earned runs given up in seven innings pitched. Justin is leading this this Astros rotation that is elite, that has the fourth best ERA in baseball, when he hasn't pitched in two seasons. He's come back, and I, I just nonchalantly say that Justin Verlander is leading the major leagues in wins. Well, let's stop down for a second. This pitcher, let's take take out of it. Let's take my brother out of it. Let's let's just say that we weren't brothers, that we weren't related. This pitcher that hasn't pitched in two years has come back and been a top, easily top five pitcher in baseball, if not the best pitcher in baseball. He leads all of baseball in wins. I tweeted this on Sunday. Justin Verlander now has the most wins in Major League Baseball with eight. He is a year and a half removed from Tommy John surgery. And in his first season back, he sports a 1.94 ERA, fifth best in Major League Baseball. So this Astros rotation is better. You add back Justin Verlander. You get back Lance McCullers at some point this year, who has been one of the best pitchers in the American League. He was last year. He's been out all year. They're only going to get better. They have the fourth lowest ERA, the fifth lowest whip, and their opponent batting average on base percentage, OPS, that's all some of the best in baseball. But their bullpen is a massive reason that I say that this pitching staff is better. This team is better than when they went to the World Series last year. This team, the Houston Astros, is still the team to beat in the American League. They have the fewest blown saves in all of baseball at three, the best save percentage. There's 66 runs allowed are the fewest in Major League Baseball. This is the bullpen only. The bullpen has allowed 66 runs. That's the fewest in baseball. They have the second fewest hits allowed in Major League Baseball. The second fewest home runs allowed. And the lowest ERA. The Astros bullpen went from being middle of the pack last year to best in baseball this year. This is a scary team. When you, when you talk about how good this rotation and this bullpen has been, it makes them a scary team. When you add on top of that, that this Astros team has just had the blueprint to success for a long time now, you start to realize this team is built to win in October. And this team started to build this a decade ago. The blueprint to the Astros' success that we are seeing right now, the team that has been to five consecutive AL championship series, this blueprint started over a decade ago when Jim Crane bought the team in November of 2011. In December of 2011, brings in Jeff Lunau, the GM, and they would proceed to have great free agent signings, great drafts, great trades. They became the team 
that looked at analytics and just did it better than anybody else. Them and the Rays were light years beyond everybody else analytically. And it's that new regime that came in. It's Jim Crane. It's Jeff Lunau. They came in and they made a massive difference for, for an organization that just, quite frankly, hadn't been very good. Their first pick as a duo, they join in, in 2011, in November and December of 2011. Their first draft pick, first overall in 2012, is a young kid from Puerto Rico named Carlos Correa. People didn't really know a lot about him. They eventually would, because he would eventually go on to be a World Series champion, a gold glove, a platinum glove winner, one of the most clutch players the game has ever seen, one of the one of the biggest personalities in the game of baseball. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. But the blueprint has been built not only since they've been good in 2017, 2016 on. It was built way before that. This new regime came in and said, this is the blueprint for success. We're going to focus on analytics. We're going to draft correctly. We're going to make trades correctly. And throughout that process, we've gotten to see those young guys, those young names come up and make a difference. George Springer, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, a little bit later, Alex Bregman, who made his debut in 2016, but was a high draft pick. Jeremy Pena, who we're seeing now. This team drafted correctly. They, they didn't put together a good team that was capable of winning in, in their time frame. And they would tell you what that time frame was. No, they didn't do that. They didn't put together a team. They put together a blueprint of success. And that has proven to be great throughout all of this. You lose one of the best players in baseball, the best shortstop in baseball. You lose Carlos Correa, and everybody says, ah, the run's coming to an end. Oh, they didn't sign a big free agent shortstop. You lose Correa, but you didn't get Seager. Ah, you didn't get Trevor Story. It's coming to an end for the Houston Astros. Well, guess what? They've continued to follow that blueprint of success and there's this young kid that steps in named Jeremy Pena. What has he done? Well, he's just gone out and been fantastic, been the best rookie so far this year. He's up there in the league lead in war. He steps in in the biggest shoes in the entire world that you can fill for a World Series team and the best shortstop in baseball. You got to fill those shoes. Well, guess what? He's done that and more. The blueprint for success has started over a decade ago. In 2016, the Astros make a trade. Why? Well, because the analytics and the numbers said so. We should make this trade. They give up Josh Fields for a guy named Jordan Alvarez. 
And that's just more credit to this Houston Astros organization, the blueprint that they laid out for success. They knew, hey, this Jordan Alvarez guy, this guy's going to be pretty good. He has the potential to be really good. We'll give up Josh Fields for Jordan Alvarez. And guess what? Jordan is what he is now. Which leads to my last point of why this Astros team is still the team to beat. Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez is one of the top three best hitters in the American League. Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez. I have no problem putting him in that conversation. And you shouldn't either. Jordan Alvarez is hitting 302, has an OPS of over 1, a 1.017 OPS. He has 17 home runs, 25 extra base hits, 39 RBIs. He's on pace to hit 47 home runs, have 107 RBIs, and 80 walks to 102 strikeouts. Jordan Alvarez isn't just a big, bad power hitter. He is one of the best hitters in the game of baseball all around. He can hit for average. He can hit balls the other way. He can hit balls into the fourth deck at Minute Maid Park. He can hit 47 home runs in a year, which he's on pace to do. Jordan Alvarez is elite. And it's frustrating because he's not talked about enough. And I don't know if it's because of he's a he's a part-time DH. He DHs half the time. He plays outfield. I don't know if it's because people just don't want to give the Houston Astros the credit they deserve for what happened five years ago. I don't know. But he's one of the best hitters in baseball, and he deserves the credit that he's getting right now. He deserves all the credit in the world. He's that good. He's 24 years old. Aaron Judge was 26 years old when he made his debut. Aaron Judge wasn't even a Major League Baseball player at the time Jordan Alvarez is right now in age. Think about that. Aaron Judge is about to get paid a boatload of money, and he deserves every penny he is about to get. He wasn't even in the big leagues yet at 24 years old. Let's not forget, one, how special, how good he is, because Jordan is one of the most underrated players in baseball. You know, I've been saying for years, for for a year, not for years, I haven't even been doing this for years. I've been saying for a year that I think Bryce Harper is the most underrated player in baseball. I am here to say now that I believe Jordan Alvarez is the most underrated player in the game of baseball. We just don't talk about him enough. We don't talk about him in the, amongst the game's elites. He's that good, and he's 24 years old. So all of these reasons are why I think the Astros are still the team to beat. Until somebody steps up, and is it going to be the New York Yankees? It certainly looks like they're heading for a clash, and this Yankees team is right now the best in baseball. Hands down, no question about it. I have no qualms saying the Yankees are the best team in the American League. So how can you say this, Ben? Well, the Astros are the team to beat until somebody knocks them off. They've been to five consecutive ALCSs. The Yankees have proven to not be able to beat the Astros in the playoffs. The Astros are the Yankees' kryptonite. So am I going to say right now that the Yankees are the team to beat in the American League? No way. 
They still have to go through the Astros again, who they haven't been able to get through. And the Astros are just as good, if not better, than they have been in the last couple of years. The Houston Astros are the team to beat in the American League. That's what I have to say. That's what I have to say. But it's the Monday episode, which means we have power rankings to get to. So where will those Houston Astros rank in the power rankings? Will they be at the top right now? Will they be at the top when it matters? Who knows? All I know is right now, this week, we're going to check out the top 10 Major League Baseball power rankings that I come out with every single Monday. And let's start with that number 10 team. At number 10, I have the San Francisco. No, no, no. I have the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins come in at 35 and 27. And that might have been a little spoiler of what's about to come. We'll see. The Twins are a really good baseball team. I really like the Twins. I like what they're doing. They've had some injuries plague them. Nobody expected them to be the leader in the AL Central, but they have been all year long. Carlos Correa has been really good. Byron Buxton is one of the best players in baseball. He had five home runs last week, by the way. Just absolutely ridiculous. They've been really good. I like the Twins, but they haven't been playing as well of late, but they still come in here at number 10. At number nine, you probably know where I'm going here. At number nine, I have the San Francisco Giants. The Giants were not on this list of late. But you know what they did? Well, they swept the Dodgers in a huge series. They went in and they dominated the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're back. They're back, and they are here at number nine for that reason. We know the Giants are good. It's just like, when are they going to figure it out and play great baseball? And they did against one of the best teams in baseball this week. At number eight, and back in the power rankings for the first time in a long, long time, the Atlanta Braves. The defending World Series champs are back. They have gone on their longest winning streak in since 2013. I have believed all along that this team has the potential to be better than the World Series team last year, and now they're going. I called them out two weeks ago. Hey, the time to go is now. And I don't know if they played that episode in their locker room. I Maybe not. Maybe they did. I know that there have been baseball teams that have played flipping bats in their locker room, which is pretty cool. I don't know if the Braves did, but they I called them out. And ever since then, they haven't lost. They are here at number eight on this list. And they could be moving up fast because they are talented enough to be a top five team easily in the league. And now they come in at number eight. Moving on to number seven in my top ten power rankings, the Tampa Bay Rays. From the AL East, the AL East is just so good. And the Rays just continue to be the team in the AL East that doesn't jump off the paper with superstars, but they just keep winning ball games, And that's what they're doing now, and they're doing it in all different facets. They pitch well, or they hit well, or they put it all together. They just do a really good job across the board. They're here at number 7, 35 and 25 heading into this week. At number 6, the Toronto Blue Jays. 
a team that, as you all know, I really believed in. I believed that they were going to be in the World Series, actually. I believe they were that talented, and that is how good they have been um, of late. They, they've turned it on. They went on that winning streak. They went through a really tough skid for a while, but they're back. They are good. They're showing everybody why they are good. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hasn't even been playing great this year, by the way. But as we sit here, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was my pick to click on the Thursday episode that he would hit a home run and start to turn it around this week. And guess what? Already cashed that one in. So producer Conrad got that one coming at you on Thursday. But he appears to be turning it around a little bit, and so does this Blue Jays team. They're 35-24 and 24 here at number six. Moving on, number five, the Houston Astros. The Astros lost two of three to the Marlins. Not a huge concern. They have a massive division lead. They will be fine in the division. They will be fine getting to the playoffs. They are very talented. But you lose two of three to the Marlins, who who aren't a terrible team this year. I think they went five and five on the on the week or six and four. Um, they're here at number five because of those reasons. The offense hasn't clicked yet. The pitching and the bullpen is what keeps them winning baseball games. The offense is very, very talented, and they haven't even really clicked yet. They come in at number five as of right now, but they could move up fast. Number four, the San Diego Padres. Unbelievable that the Padres are as good as they are. The starting rotation, Joe Musgrove has been one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher in baseball. Manny Machado has been unbelievable. Fernando Tatis is on the comeback trail, seen him taking ground balls. He's he's in the process of coming back. They are already as good as they are. They are already here without one of the best superstars in the game of baseball. Think about that. They come in at number four. At number three, their division mate, the Los Angeles Dodgers. This could be the last week that until the Padres pass them. I haven't had the Padres pass the Dodgers yet, but the Dodgers have gone on a skid. They lost three games in a row to the Giants. The Padres are right there, neck and neck with them in the division. But I still do believe in how good this Los Angeles Dodgers team is. I do have concerns. Those concerns would be the starting pitching. Clayton Kershaw has come back from injury. Will he be the Clayton Kershaw that we saw before? Hopefully. I mean, hopefully for the game of baseball he is. Who doesn't love Clayton Kershaw? Walker Bueller. Big time concern. Goes down, comes out of the game. You hear it's an elbow injury, which immediately isn't good. But then before we even start hearing about results, within 24 hours, we hear Walker Bueller is going to miss, quote, a good bit of time. And when you hear that around an elbow injury, I don't even want to say it, but it's not good. It's not good. I hope it's not what everybody's mind goes to. Um, I like Walker Bueller a lot. This Dodgers team needs Walker Bueller. Aside from that, those are my concerns. This team is still carried by every. <laughs> their offense is unbelievable. It's the best all-around offense in baseball. Their rotation can still be really good. I will say this. The guys that they have had step up in the rotation, Tyler Anderson, Tony Gonsolin, those aren't the names you think when you think Dodgers rotation, but those are the guys that are going to have to continue to be as good as they have been. The Dodgers come in at number three. Moving on to number two, 
the cream of the crop in the NL East as of right now, the New York Mets. They're 39 and 22. That's elite. The Mets are one of the best teams in all of baseball. I believe they are the best team in the National League, and I have them here at number two. Moving on to number one again this week at number one in my top 10 Major League Power Rankings, I have the New York Yankees. They are 44 and 16. The New York Yankees have lost 16 games. We are well over, we're over a third of the way into the year now. That's ridiculous. They are doing it all. Their rotation has been the best in baseball, top to bottom. They had only one pitcher with over a three ERA, and it was Jordan Montgomery, and he threw great on Sunday. The rotation has been good. Aaron Judge has been playing like an MVP, and they've been healthy, and that is the key to the New York Yankees. Health. Their superstars are playing like superstars. They have been healthy, and their pitching rotation has stepped up and been better than anybody could have ever possibly imagined. For those reasons, the New York Yankees come in as my number one team on my Major League Baseball power rankings for this week. Producer Conrad, where are we going next? Is it is it team of the week time? I think it is. I think it is time to get into the team of the week. I love that. So we started this over a month ago now. Probably been doing it a couple months. Time flies when you're having fun. But team of the week, where I go position by position, highlight the best player at each position, in my opinion, that week. And what we're going to start doing now is when that's all done, when I get through my team of the week, I am going to talk about my player of the week as well. But as we do every week, let's start with the catcher position. For this week's team of the week and at catcher, I have friend of the pod, Salvador Perez. 385 on the week. Uh, an OPS over 1,210 RBIs on the week. I am here to say that the Flippin' Bats pod luck is here. It is real. If you didn't believe it last year, you got to believe it this year. Salvador Perez was hurt. He was injured when he came on the show. And since he came off, he has been on a tear. He's a catcher on my team of the week. Moving on to first base, a guy that is very underrated and not talked about a lot, Luis Arise. He hit 546 on the week, a 1,400 OPS, 12 hits on the week. I would go a month where I would get 12 hits at a time. He did it in a week. Unbelievable week. He just continues. This guy is one of the most underrated players in baseball. He hits, he hits over 300 every year, I feel like, and he's hitting well over 300 to this point. I have him at first base. Moving on over to second base on this week's team of the week, Marcus Simeon, a guy that has been over the last couple of years an MVP candidate. And this year is just a slow start. It took him a, it took him forever to hit a home run. Well, guess what? He hit that first home run, and then he went on a tear. He had 480 this week, four home runs, a 1,500 OPS, 1.536 OPS. Marcus Simeon has turned it on for the Rangers. The Marcus Simeon they expected to get when they gave him and Corey Seager half a billion dollars, they're getting that now from him. Moving on over to third base, Jake Berger of the Chicago White Sox. Jake Berger hit 458 on the week, a 1500 OPS, 3 home runs, 
He even hit a home run on National Burger Day earlier this year, by the way. So credit to him. I used to have a teammate. His name was Joey Pancake. And on every National Pancake Day, I would just wish him like a good day. A good day. Good day to you, Mr. Pancake. But it reminded me when Jake Berger hit his home run on National Burger Day. Good for him. That's his day. Moving on over to shortstop. Dansby Swanson, the best flow in the league. Dansby is back. He was struggling to start the year. 435 on the year or on the week. A 1.109 OPS, 10 weeks. A bunch of clutch knocks, by the way. Dansby's been killing it, and it's been so good to see. I just I just like Dansby Swanson. He's an easy guy to root for. He plays shortstop for the Atlanta Braves. Came out of Vandy with all the hype in the world and hadn't really lived up to it until last year had a good year. This year really struggled. Now he's having an all-star caliber year. So Dansby Swanson comes in at shortstop. Moving on to the outfield. Three different outfielders, regardless of position. So if you've seen the Team of the Week graphic and you're coming to this video to say, Hey, Ben, why did you have so-and-so playing left field? You're so dumb. They don't play left field. Eh, it's not that. Three outfielders, regardless of position. And we're going to start with the first outfielder, and that is Ronald Acuna Jr. 435 on the week, four home runs, a 1,500 OPS. He's doing the LeBron celebration. He's doing the Trey Young celebration. He's doing the chalk in the dugout. This guy's changing the game of baseball for the better. He is one of the reasons this show is what it is. Fun, exciting. It's called flipping bats. He does all of that. He's growing the game of baseball. He has come back and been on a tear, and he was again this week. Ronald Acuna is first of the three outfielders. Next up in the outfield, we will go with Byron Buxton. Listen to the week he had. 4-12, a 1.853 OPS, and five home runs. He doesn't even play every day. The Twins kind of manage his his games. He had five home runs on the week. Byron Buxton is just ridiculously good at baseball. He is on this team of the week again. He has been here before. Last up, but not least in the outfield from the Houston Astros, Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker has turned it on. 429 on the week, a 1,400 OPS with three home runs. He's wearing batting gloves now, which is ridiculous to see. But as I say often in the game of baseball, sometimes you just got to switch things up. But seeing Kyle Tucker wear batting gloves, it is weird, but it's working. He comes in as the last outfielder on my team of the week. All right, let's move on to the designated hitter. My DH on this week's team of the week, Bryce Harper. This is tough because... I view Bryce Harper's an outfielder, you know, but he hasn't been able to play outfield this year because of his tear and his UCL. But he had 458 on the week, a 1300 OPS, three home runs on the week. This was tough. This one was tough because Jordan was great. There were a couple of, uh, uh, Shohei Otani was great at DH as well, but Bryce Harper was, was the answer here. He, he was fantastic. Let's move on to the mound. We'll start. With starter, <laughs> we'll start with the starting pitcher for the team of the week, Hunter Green. I love me some Hunter Green. The dude throws over 100 miles an hour. He's a rookie. He was 1-0 on the week, 12 innings pitched. So he started twice. He had 12 innings pitched, 15 strikeouts in those 12 innings. Hunter Green, the starting pitcher on the mound for my team of the week. Now, 
this team's naturally going to have a lead heading late into the game because look how good it is. We're going to finish up this team with the pitcher that will close that game. My closer for this week's team of the week is Kenley Jansen. Four saves on the week. The Braves just keep winning. A lot of save opportunities to come by. And he certainly took his fair share and ran with it. He took his opportunity and ran with it. Didn't blow a save. Four saves, four innings pitch, one earned run, five Ks. Good for Kenley Jansen. Change of scenery, and he's killing it. And he killed it this week. That rounds out the team of the week. That team is nasty. And I love team of the week because it's an ability. It's an it's a chance to just highlight guys that you wouldn't find typically on a team of the month or a team of the year where they get all their accolades. But I love just being able to highlight guys that had a fantastic week. And all of those guys had just that. But let's get to my player of the week. My player of the week from the Atlanta Braves who just can't stop winning. Ronald Acuna Jr. Those stats again, 435 batting average, four homers, a 1,500 OPS. Ronald Acuna has been unbelievable. It reached base in the six games he played from Sunday to Saturday. So in this week span, reached base in every game, had three multi-hit games, and entering Sunday, Acuna is tied for fourth in the National League with 11 stolen bases. Think about this for a second. Ronald Acuna missed virtually a full year of time. He went down right before the All-Star break last year. He missed almost a full year's worth of time, comes back, kills it, hitting over 300, hitting a bunch of homers, doing the cool basketball celebrations, and he's tied for fourth in all of Major League Baseball and stolen bases. That's not just in the course of this last week. That's all year. He missed a month. Unbelievable. And he was so good again this week. So player of the week, yes, statistically is going to be a huge part of it. But this also has to do with some other stuff he's doing. Whether a guy hit a walk-off home run or he does do some cool stuff, Ronald Acuna, Ronald Acuna Jr. did some cool stuff. He changes the game of baseball. He makes the game of baseball fun. I love him for that. I love watching him. He absolutely killed it this week in, in the game as well and on the field, and he is my player of the week. So that rounds up team of the week, player of the week, and I believe, Producer Conrad, is that is that the end of our, is that the end of our Monday show? That is the end of the show. It ends with your team of the week, and Ronald Acuna naturally has to be that player of the week after the week that he had, and obviously a lot goes into it, but the Braves haven't lost a game in, what, 11 days, 12 days? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, it's just another way to to shine light on the Atlanta Braves and what they've done. You know, I, I said it just a second ago, but player of the week isn't always going to be the guy with the best statistics. I promise you it'll be close, but there will be other factors involved, and those factors this week for Ronald Acuna is just how fun he's making the game of baseball. The name of this show is Flipping Bats. I'm wearing a Flipping Bats shirt. I love bat flips. I love celebrations. I love all of that stuff. That's what makes this show great. Ronald Acuna helps that. He makes baseball fun. And that rounds out this Monday episode of Flipping Bats. I'm so excited, guys. Business is booming. 
for Flippin' Bats, five episodes a week now. So instead of three longer episodes, we'll be coming to you with a little bit shorter episodes every day of the week. They will all be different in their own right. So I'm excited for you all to hear all of that and all that fun stuff we have coming. Thank you all for listening to this Monday episode. Make sure you're liking, subscribed everywhere you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, all that good stuff. Rate it five stars if you can. That really helps. We're also on social media at Flippin' Bats Pod, anywhere you have social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can watch every episode, the video of it on YouTube as well. We also have a TikTok now, which is a lot of fun off and rolling there. Thank you all for listening. This has been an absolute blast of a Monday episode. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode of Flippin' Bats. Peace.